As we continue in our psalm series, would you join me in giving our full attention to the scripture reading for today? This is the reading of God's holy word, Psalm chapter 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You uh, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the reading of God's word. Now let's give our full attention to the preaching of God's word. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the reading of this precious psalm. Thanks be to God. Just want to say as your pastor, one of your pastors, I am so encouraged today that the number of people who showed up by the time of call to worship, like tripled. Yes, I want to thank God and I want to thank you. I think Pastor Daniel Penn's sermon, as is always with the case with all the pastors, powerful, impactful, really, really good to sing together uh, from the start. All right. We're continuing to the psalm series, Pleasures Forevermore. He says, at your right hand... In your presence, O God, there is infinite, far-surpassing enjoyments and pleasures. Verse 1, the psalmist describes his experience of God, I have no good apart from you. My whole being rejoices. It's like as he warms up through the psalm, my whole being gets heated with passion and affection. Truth of the matter, a lot of people don't take the Bible seriously. You read Psalm 16, and it just seems like a fantasy, because it just doesn't match your experience. A lot of people don't take the Bible seriously, let alone read it carefully, because, I mean, come on, this is, this is not your reality, it's not my reality. Who talks like this? I mean, let alone, who actually experiences this? I mean, it raises some questions. Should it not? Is the psalmist exaggerating? Is this just another example of, you know, religious people get all hyped up? Religious jargon, sensationalism. Or... Are we missing something? 
Look, either the psalmist here is uh, hyperbole, or I and you, my friends, this morning, if this does not match or resemble any of your actual experience, maybe we're missing out. Today, it's all about pleasures. I love the Psalms. This is one of the themes running through it. And summer is an opportune time to recover healthy old pleasures. That's why we have summer clubs. Or it's a great opportunity to learn and begin new pleasures. C.S. Lewis once observed about our desires for pleasures. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Infinite joy is offered to us. We could get that C.S. Lewis quote. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Lewis's observation is, you and I don't desire pleasure too much but too little. Our desires in pursuit of real pleasures fall short. We're too easily and quickly contented. I find in the book of the Psalms and throughout the entirety of the New Testament that the underlying dynamic to Christian life, I'm trying to encapsulate in my understanding and experience of it as well, the underlying dynamic, I'm not saying this is the only thing, I'm not saying this always has to be your thing. Certainly, I think there's a lot of seasons you will not feel this thing, but it is foundational. It might be most pivotal. It's what anchors and carries you to pleasures forevermore. Here's the underlying dynamic. In a real relationship with God is not self-discipline, brute willpower, or determination. Although all of those three things are absolutely necessary, the underlying dynamic in a real relationship with God is not self-discipline, brute willpower, determination, but the surpassing and everlasting pleasures of God. That's what I find in the Psalms, and in fact, I find in Christian life in the New Testament. I mean, look at verse 11 again, the climactic concluding verse. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know if you've read Homer's Odyssey. There's a character by the name of Ulysses. After the conquest of Troy, you know, the Trojan horse, he spends a 10-year voyage back to Ithaca and to his wife Penelope, hounded by the god of the seas, Poseidon. It took 10 years because he is harassed by Poseidon because Ulysses blinded his son, the Cyclops. On the way back, there are enormous challenges presented, like navigating between the Scylla and the Charybdis, and then passing by the island filled with sirens. Sirens were seemingly uh, angelic, beautiful creatures, but they were just a disguise for cannibals. The sirens were women who would come out in the most dazzling attire 
and sing the most seductive songs. So every ship that passed on by, they would direct their ship to their shores, but crash upon the rocks, and then these seemingly beautiful angelic creatures would eat their flesh. That's the ending of a very bad date. They would just consume their flesh. Well, Ulysses had been strictly warned about these sirens. So he devised a plan. He told everyone on board, you're going to plug your ears with earwax. But Ulysses, awfully curious, said, but I want to be tied to the mast. Bind me with ropes. Because he wanted to hear the song that the sirens sang. And so here they come around close to the island. And the sirens come out and appear in their attire. And they begin to sing the most beautiful songs Ulysses has ever heard. He had commanded his crew, I want you to row as if your lives depended upon it. Don't look to the right or to the left. Keep your ears plugged and just row as fast and furiously as you can because we just got to get by. But... I want to hear the songs, and in no case, with no exception, no condition, do not untie me. Do not let me go. But when the sirens sang, Ulysses screamed and begged for release. The sirens had deceived him that he had reached home back to Ithaca, and one of them even pretended to be his wife, Penelope. Sirens, they're not just mythological. Sirens, they're not just for Greek culture, are they? We all have sirens. What are yours? You know, it's that thing that keeps calling your name. It won't let you go to sleep. Promises you things. Promises you a lot of things on the other end. After all that work. Or after that escape. That indulgence. After that taste. Sirens call your name. They tempt you. They want to overtake you. They want to control you. They know you. They know you well. Now how do you. And how have you been. If at all. Struggling. Combating. And how do you plan to overcome these specific sirens? Pure self-restraint? Just say no to drugs, the 80s campaign? Just say no? Spiritual disciplines, awfully important. Absolutely supernatural power and resources are given here. Time in the scriptures. God speaks and God shows up in the scriptures. You do know that primarily you don't have God show up in any other way. Like you have the movement and the power and the presence of God primarily through the scriptures. And of course in your prayer life. I'm going to overcome all these signs because you know I'm I'm just a very disciplined person. I'm a very careful person. I'm a fearful person. I'm very disciplined in what I should be. Some of you have gone much further and it's good. You've got good friends. You've got like a crew. See, you got a crew on board. Uh, they tie you down sometimes. Literally, they have to intervene. They tackle you. They make sure you don't go to that place again. They make sure that you're not left alone. These are wonderful, wonderful good things. 
Maybe some of you, very few if at all, you want to show up here, but you want to live like monks. You know, just avoid, run, hide. Don't come anywhere near any sirens. Now, mind you, there are certain temptations in life, especially with lust, with lust. The Bible says just run. You should hide. Don't think. Just run. But what's your plan? What's your underlying dynamic to pass safely on by all the sirens? Jason was another character in Homer's Odyssey that took an entirely different approach than Ulysses. Jason took with him on board the most gifted, the best musician in all of Greece by the name of Orpheus. He did not have his crew members plug their ears with earwax. None of them even had to close their eyes. They didn't have to row as furiously and fast as they could. But when they came on by to the island, of course, the sirens appeared to sing their seductive songs. But Orpheus was ordered to play his songs. And when Orpheus played his music, his music overwhelmed and drowned the songs of the sirens. The music of Orpheus was far better. And they just passed on safely by. How are you passing through? Hmm? How will you pass on through all the sirens that may come? Do you hear? And can you hear that? Do you hear what the psalmist hears? Is there a better, sweeter music? Perhaps playing from heaven? Are there superior pleasures? Pleasures? Than all the pleasures that may be tempting you in life. Look at verse 7. This is David the psalmist, verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. We can conjecture maybe nighttime was when the psalmist was most vulnerable, most lonely, most needy, most tempted. Maybe the sirens come out at night. But there, God, not an abstract, hmm? theoretical concept. God is there counseling him on his bed at night. In a reciprocal relationship, he has been setting the Lord always before him. God is at my right hand, verse 8. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Yes, you can say no. You should say no. You absolutely are commanded to say no to a lot of things as a follower of Jesus Christ. But do you know that your no could be stronger and easier if you have a much greater yes? Did you know you can pass on by the sirens more like Jason than Ulysses? Thomas Chalmers, that old Puritan, had a sermon title, 
You're welcome. I don't ever title my sermons this long. But here it is, was his quote. A new affection is more successful in replacing an old affection than simply trying to end it without supplanting it with something better. There's your title. Again, the title was, A new affection is more successful in replacing an old affection than simply trying to end it without supplanting it with something better. In Christian life, are you just saying no or are you replacing it, supplanting it? New rhythms, new routines, new habits, new consumptions of time, new obsessions. There are far better things to do to replace, take the place of than the things you used to do. On, a, on the podcast, uh, The Rise and Fall uh, of Mars Hill, Mike Cosper invited none other than Dr. Timothy Keller. And he asked Dr. Keller, amidst all the scandals, amidst so many Christian leaders and figures and pastors who become celebrities, they've fallen into scandal, they fall by the wayside. He is asked, why do you think you've lasted? How have you lasted? By the way, Dr. Keller is struggling with pancreatic cancer now. He started his answer by saying, you know, you have to have people speaking into you. You got to have a crew. You got to have a team. You got to have people on your ship that talk to you straight. I mean, there are people, starting with my wife and my best friends, who could care less. I'm a pastor. They don't call me pastor. It's not a title. It's not like my last name. I'm a frail, broken, tempted human being. And you've got to have them checking in and talking to you. But Dr. Keller goes on to say, yeah, you've got to have people speaking into your life. But there is the actual experience. There's a genuine experiential sense of the love of God that helps you to mortify besetting sins. There's a taste There's a sense of the love of God, meaning a vibrant prayer life, a real prayer life. Go figure, like an actual functional prayer life. And that prayer life in which you get to sense the love of God up close, quote, is so delicious, you never want to lose it. The sense the genuine experience of the presence and the love of God is so delicious, you never want to lose it. Because you can lie to your spouse. Oh, yeah. You can lie to your closest friends. You can lie and deceive accountability structures. That all have been set up for you. Plurality of elders in a Presbyterian church is a wonderful thing. But the one last accountability that you cannot avoid is a sense in your heart that something is so delicious and precious. And mind you, please, you don't have to feel and experience that every day. No, not even close. But it's so good. You can't think about living without it. 
Look at Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 7. This is Joseph after he's betrayed. He was cocky. He bragged as he was a young guy. He had visions from God and boasted of himself before his own parents and all of his brothers. He was spoiled and favored by his dad, Jacob. But now he's sold over into Potiphar's house in Egypt. And we pick up here starting in verse 7. Here it is, all about pleasures and sirens. Verse 7. After a time, his master's wife, now Joseph's master's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Calling his name. There's a temptation. Verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, quote, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you. Because you are his wife. What do you hear on the mind and in the heart of Joseph, in his response to temptation, to this siren. Lady, uh, but I have everything. I'm satisfied right now. I derive great pleasure in pleasing my earthly master, Potiphar. He's given me in charge of everything. Except one thing, you. It dawned on me this week, this is an echo of the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam and Eve everything except that one tree, which demarcates the dividing line between God, Godness, and human beings. Just trust me, don't eat that tree. And out of this satisfaction, shalom, wholeness, the pleasure that Joseph derives in pleasing his earthly master, that pleasure is greater than the pleasure his wife offers. Let's move on. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph had a nightmare, his greatest nightmare. I wonder if it's yours. His greatest fear in life was falling out of the pleasure of pleasing his ultimate master, his God. Because that pleasure, that enjoyment, that satisfaction you have when you are right with, walking with, obeying, following, and pleasing your ultimate master, God is so delicious. That we go on in verse 10. And as she spoke to her Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. To lie beside her, to be with her. Surpassing pleasures. Not once, not twice. Did this siren call his name? Day after day, persistent. You know, of course, she concocts a whole story 
And he ends up in prison because now Joseph is falsely accused of having been sexually or physically inappropriate with his boss's wife. Back to Greek mythology, Homer's Odyssey. Ulysses and Jason passed on safely by the sirens, but only one person heard and sensed and replaced the old songs with new songs. Only one was actually had an easier time passing on by because he was captivated by surpassing beauty. Which one are you? Which one would you want to be? Can I ask you, some of you in this room, is basically the underlying dynamic, the dominant motif to your Christian or this religious life is, ah, I'm just going to refrain, just going to keep saying no, ball and chain the rest of my life. I'm just never going to end up doing what I really want to do. <coughs> Excuse me. Does that describe your condition? <coughs> Does that describe the dominant characteristic? What's the underlying dynamic to Christian life once again? What should it be? It's not just restraint. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not fear. It's not intimidation. It's not shame or manipulation. It's not even the imitation of Jesus Christ. The underlying dynamic, you know, the motor, the engine that just keeps you going and keeps you all the way through, is a change of heart. It's a change of heart. It's a change that take pla takes place even at the very seat of your desires. Look at Psalm 37 verse 4. It's not the only verse, just one verse here. As an example of many. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> what? Would you say that your Christian life is about. I can't believe I get to do more and more and more and more of what I really want to do most, because what I want to do most is what God wants? Again, is your life more about, I just got to restrain, I got to discipline, I got to make sure I don't cross that line. I got to pass on through all these signs and temptations. Or would you say Psalm 37 verse 4 more characterizes your Christian life, which is, I can't believe that I get to exercise and carry out and do more and more and more of my real desires, my deepest desires, my most powerful desires, because my desires are being changed and they match with God's desires. And if honestly, this verse and Psalm 16 and much of anything that has been mentioned today doesn't come close to your present feelings. There I said it, your actual feelings, your experience, your sensory intake of what this whole Christianity business is. 
If you don't register any of this stuff in your life, can I just recommend to you, my dear brother, sister, it's because you've fallen out of love. You're just falling way out of love. Or maybe you've never fallen in love with God. Malcolm Gladwell on that chess prodigy, Bobby Fischer, once observed this feature, telltale sign of a lot of prodigies and geniuses. That love component is such an enormous part of the achievement of any kind of genius, because if it's dutiful, there's no way you can be that obsessive about it. So out of love, old song. Have you fallen out of love? Have you lost that love and feeling? Have you ever fallen in love? Do you taste pleasures forevermore? Oh, why did the psalmist fall in love? How did the psalmist experience such enjoyments with God? Here's how. The psalmist heard someone else sing a better song. Okay, please stay with me here. In Psalm 16, the psalmist, as he sang this song, he knew of a day where God himself would sing the song even better over him. Oh, we've done like four or five summers to the Psalms here at CCSC and I've been instructing you, ask every single psalm, especially the Old Testament. The first question should be, of course, how does this point me to Jesus, right? How should I pray this to Jesus? How can I sing this to Jesus? How does this direct me to Jesus? Wonderful. Don't forget the second question of every psalm. How could Jesus have sung or prayed this psalm himself? Could Jesus have sung Psalm 16 himself. Look at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 23. Apostle Peter rises up, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what you might call the very first Christian sermon. Jesus has been raised from the dead. The disciples have seen him. They have just been mind-melted, hearts emblazoned. They're completely new people now. Sometimes people think you must be drunk because you have such boldness and life and color about you and here's his first sermon this jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of god that's astounding you mean the most incomprehensible horror one of the tragedies injustices of life in all of history still was a part of a definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Then he goes on to say, but you are fully accountable. This is your fault. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him, Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David, this David says concerning him, Jesus. Look at the next verses. I saw the Lord always before me. 
for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Lest you think your pastor just makes up things. How could Jesus have prayed or sung this psalm himself? Here is Apostle Peter telling you and I that David wasn't just a poet. David wasn't just a poet. He was a prophet. And as a prophet, he could sense and he foretold that this would be, sound familiar, these verses? Look any familiar, these verses? That the very words, every word, every verse of Psalm 16 would be a pre-recording of the innermost thought life and emotional life of Jesus Christ himself on the way to the cross. That what drove Jesus and what carried him all the way even through the execution, that horrific persecution, that humiliation, that kind of suffering, was this psalm where he knew the certainty, God, you will not leave my soul in Hades. You will not abandon me for good, but I shall rise again. And in your presence, and with all your saints, in verse 4, who is a beautiful inheritance, there will be pleasures upon pleasures forevermore. How did the psalmist fall in love? How did he derive such pleasures with God? He heard God singing. He sensed and tasted God rejoicing. That God himself could take such pleasure over you. The pleasures of God. Two practical questions. Where to get it? Where to get it? Most of us are living out verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. That is a natural fallen condition. That is the reality of our broken lives. Sorrows upon sorrows. Because when you give in to sirens, you find they just consume your flesh. Well, here's Jesus who knows exactly how you would feel. Here's Jesus who chased after no other God, but who comes and he knows exactly how you feel, filled with sorrows, and he actually comes after you. He comes after you. This Jesus Christ. And do you know how he comes after you? One day, he lost all his loves. You, you, you do know that God has never been lonely. God was never sorrowful. God is not needy. God's not deficient. He's in completely and entirely self-replenishing. You talk about perfect satisfaction in the inner Trinitarian fellowship, which we just sang, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were just in eternity before all creation, just giving and receiving back and forth, infinite perfect pleasures. 
And all of that love, all of that dynamic was broken and shattered one day when Jesus Christ himself says, I not only will come and feel what you feel, I'm going to come after you. And the way I'm going to come after you is I'm going to give my life up. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to taste all your sorrows. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to take your place. So that when you come to Jesus by faith, listen, listen, when you come to Jesus by faith, you get so united to him. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who sacrificed himself for you, a sinner, a sorrowful sinner, you get so united to him, you become so one with him, that now when a holy, perfect God looks at you, he sees and he views and he treats and he loves and he adopts and he blesses you with the same intensity and eternality of love that he has for his own son. The pleasures of God, the pinnacle, the apex, the infinite, pure, pure waters. You come and taste. It's poured out for you in the gospel. Jesus was poured out to pour out the pleasures of God for you in the gospel. We close with this, how to cultivate it. My goodness, we need a lot more pleasures. My goodness, we need a dosage of a lot more superior, lasting pleasures, don't you think? How to cultivate it, I'll put it simply. You've got to get better at singing and praying. Our church, you mean, we, we, we got to get better at singing and praying. I don't know what you think about John Calvin. You read his magisterial work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, and if you've ever read it, you're going to get shocked how passionate it is, how practical it is, and how much attention and adoration he gives to the Holy Spirit. And in that book, John Calvin observes, why does God call us to sing and pray in worship? If you like being reformed in the tradition of the reformers, we're a reformed church, we all know, oh, the word is central. We want to be word-based. We love the sermon. I hope you do. I hope most of all, it changes you and it makes you more like him. I hope it saves you. But we want to be a word-based church. Can I tell you? That's not the only thing about reformed worship. If you're only word-based but not worship-filled, you're not reformed, you're deformed. You're far from what the Bible would say. Do you think John Calvin's church was just all about the word, but their singing and their praying was... So much more weak. Now, look at the psalmist. The psalmist and all the psalmists, they just keep getting better and better and better at singing and praying. Here it says, at night on my bed, I take counsel. I'm thinking and praying and singing to my God. At the end of Psalm 17, he says, when I awake in your presence... Psalm 16 at night, Psalm 17 in the morning, read the rest of the Psalter, it's morning, day, and night, the next day, morning, day, and night, the next day, morning, day, and night. And why would the psalmist wanting to be get, get, uh, why would they be wanting to get better and better and better singing and praying? Because they know, they've tasted, far surpassing, 
everlasting pleasures are to be had. My friends, this summer, as we go through the Psalms, would you learn to sing and pray each one much better and see the pleasures of God start to captivate your heart? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the singing and the praying. Thank you for your people. Thank you for new friends even today. We pray, oh God, that if there be anyone here who needs a savior, someone who would take them out of the depths of sorrows, someone who would forgive them for all their sins, would you bring them now to your son, Christ Jesus, who gave up himself so that we might have life, life abundantly, a surpassing, everlasting life filled with your pleasures and joys to your glory. We pray all this together now in Jesus' name. Amen.